Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today we're going to cover part two of the infamous Lizzie Borden case. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. Lizzie Borden's trial began on June 5th, 1893 at the New Bedford Courthouse. It had a panel of three judges and 12 members of the jury. A big and possibly well-known fact about this case is that she had a pretty solid defense team on her side. In a lot of ways, similar to the O.J. Simpson case, where it was almost like the defense team came into play and the prosecution was just kind of there and maybe not as prepared as they should be. No offense. She had two defense lawyers representing her, Andrew Jennings and then George Robinson, which George Robinson had been a former governor and actually had been one of the people who previously appointed one of the judges that were on the panel during his term. And Lizzie was not going to testify in court, she said, quote, I am innocent and I leave it to my counsel to speak for me, end quote. There is a famous um, picture you can look at. I think it's just a drawing, but it's showing Lizzie fainting. And she fainted because in the opening statement of the prosecution, they brought in Andrew and Abby's skulls and set them on their prosecution table, which caused Lizzie to faint and really kind of stirred the whole room i absolutely hate this part of the story because it is disgusting and many many things and i couldn't even imagine being there and having to witness them bringing my father and stepmother's skull and just placing it in front of me yeah and you know especially if she didn't actually commit it it's rough (laughs) and we will post a photo of the skulls on our social media The court documents are online, so you can read through. They have all the witness testimonies, all the information. This case, because there was no physical evidence, really relied on witness testimonies. Something immediately that was a big jab to the prosecution was the fact that Lizzie's inquest was ruled inadmissible um, for a couple reasons. One, the fact that she was medicated under morphine and couldn't be held really accountable for her statements. And also, it was ruled that she was definitely a suspect at the time of the inquest, and she should have been told her rights and saying that she does not have to answer and could have a lawyer present, which none of those things happen. And so it was not admissible in court. The prosecution tried to point out the poison or trying to buy the poison from the drugstore that happened a couple days prior. However, At some point, they actually have the jury leave the room to talk about whether this evidence is going to be admissible or not. And they have specialists, doctors, pharmacists come in and say that there were basically enough outside reasons for her to be trying to purchase the poison, assuming it was her that did that. And that's accurate, that it could not be ruled as evidence. And the autopsy of Andrew and Abby revealed that they had not had any poison in their systems. So that debunks that theory. Yes. Um, There's speculation about whether or not it would still be in their systems or what have you. But I I mean, she would have had to go get it somewhere else because the pharmacist did not sell it to her. 
Which is a smart move on his part. Now, there were some witnesses that talk about how Lizzie possibly didn't have that great a relationship with Abby and would have been unhappy with Andrew for him not bequeathing his wealth onto the kids the most that he could have. However, other people came forward and said that Lizzie and Emma both had a very good relationship with their father and their relationship with Abby was not, maybe not great, but not that bad. Something like a little side note that I thought was really sweet is Andrew wore a ring on his, it was on his pinky finger because it was too small from when Lizzie gave it to him as a child and he wore it every day. That's so cute. And that just doesn't seem like something you do if you don't care about your kid. You know what I mean? For me personally. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I want to point out, our most recent episode before this was the Jennifer Pan one. And if you guys listen to that, she hired people to kill her parents. But it was well known. And there were many people that were able to come forward and talk about how bad the relationship was with her and her parents. And so I think that a lot of people, at least there's typically people that in the your life that will know whether or not you have a good relationship with your parents. And so when everybody's coming forward saying that their relationship was great, I mean, kind of loses the motive of why this would have happened if Lizzie was the one that did it. Absolutely. There were a couple people who maybe made him question this. So um, Hannah Gifford, who had made a garment or a dress for Lizzie prior, a couple months prior to the murders, said that Lizzie called her mother, her stepmother, a quote, mean, good for nothing thing, and that she doesn't have much to do with her. Uh, and quote, I don't know how aggressive that sounds to you guys. I'll let you kind of decide on your own. For me, it was almost like, if you're mad at someone, maybe you say stuff like that. Maybe those kind of statements were enough for people to be turned off by Lizzie. It was rumored and talked about that she did not call abby mom anymore and she had for a while but now she just called her mrs borden what do you think about that erica i go back and i don't know because it is a little weird if she was calling her mom and then started calling her mrs borden but then again just think of like an angsty teen that like gets mad at their parent or whatever and just starts calling them by their first name instead of mom or dad or whatever i mean she was older but she was still living at home so i'm sure there was still kind of that mother-daughter relationship and it wasn't like different and more just two adults being friends which kind of happens once you get older so it's possible that if she had been calling her mom and then just stopped and started calling her mrs borden it could have been because she was upset with her about something it also may have just been the fact that she was 30 and she felt like she was a friend of her and it was more polite and appropriate to refer to her as mrs borden instead of mom I agree. I can see it going either way. Um, because it abruptly stopped, it could be some a sign of something bad. But it could have just been something as simple as that. It also may have been that she never even referred to her as mom. And that was just something that some people came forward and thought they'd heard. Or that was just their speculation of it. Now let's talk a little bit about the dress. And I think you guys might know where I'm going. There is witness testimony that... Lizzie, after the murders, a couple days, was seen going to burn one of her dresses. And when a neighborhood friend witnessed it, she's like, what are you doing? And Lizzie said, basically, you know, I got paint on it. So I'm not going to wear it anymore. I'm just going to burn it. And a lot of people thought this was fishy. That's one way to dispose of a dress. It is. I don't know if it was common back then to just burn your clothes you weren't wearing anymore. I I honestly have no idea. But a lot of people thought this was strange and possibly her trying to cover up evidence. 
I did see in one report something about how one of her dresses had a small spot of blood on it on the inside. It said the size of the head of a pin. All I'm going to say to that is, one, it could have been from a number of things. Two, if there really was blood around the house, it would make sense that maybe that happened. You know, there's clearly a lot of blood in the area. You don't hatchet someone that many times and not expect there to be blood everywhere. They didn't have testing back then to like test the DNA on that blood, did they? They didn't have DNA. They did have the technology to do fingerprinting, but they just didn't. Well, because I'm just thinking, I know myself and I occasionally have like a little scab or a little spot that just will start bleeding a little bit and it gets on my clothing somehow. Or back in the day, if she was like sewing something or using a little needle for anything, she could have just poked herself and gotten a little pinprick of blood on there and... So it just makes me question whether or not that's even super relevant because you could probably go pull clothing out of my laundry basket and there'd be blood on something. Yeah, I don't find that piece of evidence, supposed evidence, that damning to me. And, you know, prosecution also brings up, which honestly, this could go prosecution or defense in my head, but the fact that she had visited her friend the night before, Alice Russell, who did testify, talking about Lizzie saying that she was nervous. She had a bad feeling in her stomach. She thought something bad was going to happen to her family or her parents. And I can see that going either way because one, it could be her trying to set up an alibi or two, it could be she really had this gut feeling that, you know, and it was the right feeling. Somebody was mad and going to do something. Yeah, because I mean, that's like a real life thing. People get that feeling every once in a while that something bad just happened or is like about to happen, you know? Yeah, the phrase didn't come out of nowhere. Listen and follow your gut. That's... It's a real thing, and maybe for some more than others. For me personally, I don't think I experience a lot of those gut feeling things as much as some other people do. I also don't know that I've been in enough situations where I really have to follow my gut, though. Yeah, I don't know that I've had that a lot. I I do know, though, that when my grandma passed away when I was young, I was away at a camp. And I I remember going up to the camp leader and saying, like, something's wrong with my grandma. And it was on a Tuesday night. And I remembered based on the activities that we were in. And then I ended up finding out that that Tuesday night my grandma did pass away. So I think that's the most, like, the closest experience that I've had to, like, having that gut feeling and then it, like, actually being something true. And I've definitely heard stories like that a lot where people have this, like, something's not right and then there is something seriously wrong with someone in their family or a friend or something like that. And then the timeline that the prosecution put forward made it seem, well, it only allowed about it says eight to 13 minutes between Andrew's murder and then Lizzie calling to Bridget to come down. And like I said earlier, it just doesn't seem like she would have had enough time to clean up and change and hide the murder weapon in that short amount of time before Bridget came down. I think I'd have to agree. I mean, also, I have such a hard time and I don't know what you're going to go into, but I have such a hard time believing because that would have meant that Bridget was the only one in the house. It seems so weird that somebody could just sneak into a house and a small house at that hatchet two people and she not hear a thing. I agree. And that's something they talk about a lot. It's like because the autopsy showed that possibly Abby got hit while she was standing, fell and then continued to get hit. And she wasn't like a tiny little person. I mean, she weighed over 200 pounds in a house, an old house like that. You would think you would hear that. And it's something they say about, that raises questions about both, I think, Lizzie and Bridget, is how did they miss all this going on? 
the only thing that I can think of is if Lizzie's story is true, she really was out in the barn and not even in the house at the time of the murders, then it would make sense. But it still makes me question Bridget. I agree. But you have to remember, too, Bridget was in and out washing windows. I didn't realize she was washing the outside of the windows. Like, I didn't think that through. But you're right. The timing would have to be perfect. But also, if she was going in and out of the house to wash windows, she would have been going in and out the door. How many doors were on the house to the outside? Two or three. Oh, okay. But so somebody they, could have snuck in through yeah, the door. But and another thing they point at is they always kept the doors locked enough so that Andrew had to knock to get in when he returned home. And so they talk about how this just seems weird that someone could be in there. And also, if they would have, they would have had to murder Abby and then hide out in the house and wait for the moment to go get Andrew because there's about an hour, hour and a half in between the murders. Which, if you were the maid, you could just be walking around the house, cleaning the windows, and then waiting for Andrew to come home and then take him out. Yeah. Well, Lizzie does report at one point that she went upstairs to put some clothes away and fix a shirt or something, and the guest bedroom door was shut. Interesting. Yeah. And it kind of just, it's one of those scenes where I think if you read Lizzie's inquest, you can take it one of two ways. One, she just, you know didn't know what was going on because of her morphine or whatever to she's struggling to cover her own butt you know you can really go any way with it i personally think that i go a little bit more on the side that she didn't do it i, I do have a question though i don't know if you're gonna get into it so tell me to put a pin in it if i need to but what about that letter that abby had supposedly received that bridget said that she'd received to go visit a friend yeah, supposedly there was this note and Lizzie talks about it, but they searched the house and couldn't find it. It comes into question whether there was a note. Whether there was a note or if the killer took the note with them for some weird reason. That or, you know, Lizzie, you know, disposed of it, made it up, whatever. Emma testified as well. And she kind of, she just talked about how Lizzie and Andrew had a great relationship and She's the one who told them about the gold ring that Andrew wore. And Emma also said that Lizzie and Abby were okay. Like, they didn't have a bad relationship. It wasn't as bad as everyone made it out to be. She says they were cordial and admitted that there was some resentment over the real estate stuff. However, she says that it wasn't enough that it could have led Lizzie to be upset enough to murder them. Overall... The prosecution didn't have a whole lot against Lizzie. I think a lot of people maybe in the community thought she was guilty. And I think a lot of people today do as well. But the jury only deliberated for an hour and a half. And they looked at the fact that Lizzie was, you know, a woman at the time. It seemed just not even possible for a woman to do something like that in this time period. They looked at her activeness in the community in the church and they don't think she physically could have done it she wasn't that big of a woman as well she was short pretty small and it seems like that would take a lot of energy and they were talking about how there's no way she could have done it and not had any blood on her and they found her not guilty which in all i i do think they didn't have enough to convict her whether or not they thought she did it i think that was a good call and the eyes of the law. I think there was enough reasonable doubt. I 100% agree. I mean, we do so many cases where people are wrongfully convicted for things when there is an abundant amount of reasonable doubt and it's so unfortunate. So I'm really like glad to see that 
this was a case where maybe the criminal justice system just didn't fail Lizzie. And then, but maybe then again, they just missed out on closing the case. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So if it wasn't Lizzie, who was it? And that's kind of a big question because there's not really a lot of room for other people to come into play just because of the activity in the house, the locks, the time frame. But people do speculate that it could have possibly been an outsider or one of the tenants of Andrew who were not happy with him um, about Well, Lizzie said to one of the investigators that about two weeks prior to the murders, a man called and talked to their father about some type of business deal or something like that. And he was very angry. Two other witnesses testified that they saw a strange man near the Borden house the night before the murders. And then even one more witness said that he saw a pale-faced young man that he didn't know or recognize on their street as well. So there were definitely reports of maybe some suspicious activity around the house. But when they asked John about this, if he thinks there could have been someone in the house overnight, he doesn't believe so. He said, I mean, possibly, but I feel like in that house we would have noticed or seen someone if they were waiting overnight. However, in John's statement, he doesn't believe Lizzie did it. He even talks about a similar murder that happened 20 to 25 years ago and they never found the murderer and I don't know if him because he said it puts in his mind so he thought it reminded him I don't know if he was accusing this other situation or not um I thought that was interesting though I think there's a lot of things that's interesting because it's not there's nothing that's like set in stone 100% fact that like you can prove but there's so much speculation about everything this is true and you know I'm going to kind of go into some other theories that people speculate and I'm saying speculate like they kind of came up with it for their own reasons and there's not necessarily any fact behind it unless you try to make different scenarios fit it. But I do want to mention some of them. So one of them is that possibly Lizzie and Bridget had a relationship in that Andrew and Abby found out and weren't happy because of it and that they committed the crime together. However, with that, I will say Bridget ended up marrying a man and having a family of her own later on. But, you know, you can like girls and boys. (laughs) So I don't think that discredits it. I think, though, it's mostly from speculation and the fact that at the time Lizzie didn't marry and they thought it was weird. A theory that I've heard and seen is that 
Bridget and John were in a relationship together, and they planned the murder. Do you happen to know what the motive would be, though? Because only because um, Andrew didn't have a will. So him passing away, it all went to the daughters. So I don't know what John would have gained. I think that there was just something about like Bridget was working for the family and couldn't get out of it. And so she thought that if they killed Andrew and Abby, then they would be able to be together. Kind of like a forbidden lover situation. Is it, It's a theory that I've heard. I mean, obviously, there may not be... There's probably not any stock in that other than the fact that they were both there. But, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I don't understand with that theory, I guess. Bridget could have probably just left and been with John. <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I'm just... The, this is just a theory that I've heard. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. There's so many. And there's hundreds. Another theory is that maybe Emma and Lizzie conspired and somehow did it together because they all thought Emma was out of town. It was, I think, only like 15 miles away, which for that time would have taken a little bit. But people think that possibly she came in, they murdered, maybe she did the actual homicide and then took off and Lizzie was there to kind of be like, whoa, here's my dad and stepmom. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't personally. For me, the one that I tend to think the most And I know you don't really have too much of an opinion on the suspect or the actual perpetrator in this situation. I really think that the maid did it. And I hate that it sounds like so much like the game Clue, you know, but like, I feel like it was the maid because it just doesn't make any sense to me that somebody else could have done it. I guess you could put Lizzie into it. I don't think that Lizzie did it. I just have this gut feeling that says Lizzie didn't do it. Going back to that gut feeling. But I, I feel like it was Bridget. The only issue with that is like, what's the motive? She Maybe they just didn't treat her correctly and she didn't like it. And so she's like, you know what? Or maybe she just flipped a switch and did it. Or she didn't like being called Maggie. <laughs> or maybe she was a psychopath and you didn't have to have a motive if you're a psychopath. You just do things. I mean, true. It only has to make sense in one person's mind. I think for me, I have such a hard time because I don't see anything fitting. Because I can poke holes into whatever theory in my head that comes up everything I've read I'm like I'll start to be like oh yeah maybe and then there's evidence that just doesn't make sense because I definitely go back and forth on whether or not I believe Lizzie did it or did not I think I could go either way I know a lot of people do go back and forth on whether or not Lizzie did it but I just don't see it and I think I think that's why this case is so popular is because there's no evidence that really supports one person or the other so then it makes you think that maybe it had to have been a random person yeah it just you know they would have had to manipulate the situation just right to be in and out of the house through whatever doors were locked or unlocked. For me, I think I can see it. Yeah, they kept the doors locked. But if Bridget was just in and out washing windows, was she really locking it each time she went out and then came back in and then went back out? Also, Lizzie was there. And if she really did go out to the barn, did she lock the door when she went to the barn from the house? It's easy enough to just forget to lock something. And also, John says when he came back, from his errands he did note that the barn door was open look into that however you want i don't know if it necessarily means anything or doesn't mean anything but i just want to throw that out there that he does state that isn't this the one where they found footprints in the loft of the barn the thing with that which is interesting this is something people point out as to why lizzie's maybe culpable and it's because there's a bunch of dust in the barn and they don't think anyone was up there however I don't know. I have a hard time. Look, we grew up in Indiana. It's the Midwest. We've been around the barns. I 
can see how there would still be dust and not footprints or vice versa. Like, I think when it comes to the dust in barns, you can't be like, there would be or wouldn't be. It, it just seems odd. It's one of those things where, or like in Jean Bonnet, when they talk about the spider webs, how they would have been disturbed if the perpetrator entered through the window. Would they? If it's big enough and they can go to the side. Also, spiders can build a web fairly fast. Also, if I see a spider web and I'm breaking into a house, I'm definitely avoiding the spider web at all costs. For more than one reason. One, to not leave evidence. Two, who wants to get a spider web on them? Exactly. <laughs> and who wants to bother the little spiders? Lizzie and Emma end up living together right after all this is said and done. Emma stuck by Lizzie pretty much through all of it. And they bought a house together. And eventually, abruptly, it said, Emma moved out of the house in 1905. And they didn't talk again. And I'm not sure why, but a lot of people speculate that maybe Emma didn't think Lizzie did it at first and then found something out. I also heard another theory about this, that it's possible if Lizzie and Emma did it together, there was some sort of one of them wanted to come forward or something, and they just got into like a big fight or argument about whether or not they should come forward, and Emma ended up just moving out over a fight about them like trying to keep the secret together. The only thing with that that makes me question it is if you really had no ties left and you wanted to come forward, why wouldn't you come forward? I don't have a good answer because I've not murdered anybody. Lizzie Borden ended up passing away of pneumonia in Fall River, Massachusetts on June 1st, 1927. And Emma passed away just days later, which I think is... heart? Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. And, and Lizzie was 66 when she passed away. So, I mean, Emma would have been a normal age to pass away at that time. It's always interesting, and this is just kind of a side note, when people who were close or have this sort of connection pass away close to each other. Like you see it in older couples a lot that have been married for a long time. As soon as one passes, the other one doesn't last very long. That That is actually a syndrome and it, it really is referred to as broken heart syndrome. I don't remember the actual name for it, but people typically refer to it just as broken heart syndrome. And it's really, really sad. It is and so you sad. you can see, you like it's seen in animals even. Like if one animal... If you have like two pets in the house and you have, and they're like really close or something, then if one of them passes away for one reason or another, another animal could follow in its footsteps. We actually had two kittens that happened to once. One got, I think, hit and the other one, they were siblings. The other one took off and ran away. Which is really sad. I mean, a lot of times with animals, they tend to know when they're going to pass away. So they'll, they will leave the home so as not to be around the family which is always weird to me yeah that broken heart syndrome is it's such a sad thing and like terrible that you are, are so sad and distraught that you just pass away yourself this case is not solved to this day and i don't think it will probably ever be solved and it just leaves us to speculate and make our own guesses and draw our own conclusions Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. 
Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.